Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Kara Taylor. Kara, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Quentin. Yeah, for sure. So uh, Kara, I've got four questions I just kind of want to use as uh, conversation starters. We're going to kind of run through these four questions. Um, if it takes us five minutes to get through them, cool. Uh, if it takes 20 minutes, cool. Uh, but we're going to just start with these four. The first question I want to ask you, um, how do you start your day? Is there any specific routine or ritual that you like to stick to on most days? Yeah, I'm a super ritualistic, like routine kind of person. So uh, my dog helps keep me to that because he uh, makes me get up and walk in, let him out, all of that stuff. But um, I don't work a very traditional schedule. I often don't start my workday until about noon. So that gives me the opportunity to kind of get a bunch of stuff done, um, get my workout in. Something I started doing, I don't know, maybe like a few months ago was uh, <laughs> I like to clean the kitchen in the morning. Like I've gotten up, like there's like lots of nice bright windows and um, not that the kitchen's ever like super dirty in the morning, but uh, you know, if there's any dishes to be done, anything like that. And it gives me the opportunity if I want to like listen to music or a podcast or audiobook on my phone, or if I just want complete silence in the morning, I can um, just hang out in the kitchen with like all of the brightness. And it gives me an excuse to not to be on my phone, not to sit on the couch and scroll and look at social media first thing. Um, so I've started doing that recently. And I, I really like that kind of ritual in the morning, kind of reset, like restarting my day with like a clean house and like a clean mind um, and all of that sunshine. And then after that, I um, do some form of exercise. I've got a really good setup at home. I have a Peloton, a Tonal. Um, but I last summer, I got really into road biking. My boyfriend's a big road biker. So he got me into that. And um, sometimes he gets to ride with me and sometimes he doesn't. But uh, <laughs> I have like a little route that I do. Um most days when I ride by myself, like if it's before work, um, it's like from one park to another park and, um, it's mostly like road and like paved trail, uh, it takes me about an hour. So I like doing that. Um, just kind of riding through the city, like getting lots of sunshine and like fresh air. Um, but you know, it's Colorado. So sometimes it's super icy or snowy or windy or cold or too hot sometimes too. So, uh, that's kind of what I do in the morning. And then I get ready for work. Um, like I said, I'm super routine. So like almost down to the minute, like I know what time I need to leave, what time I need to be home from my bike ride or done with my workout so I can get in the shower. I'm always running like five minutes later than I want, but like always giving myself that buffer since I'm super routine. Hmm, cool. Now, uh, since we're kind of there at that point, I want to ask yeah. you, today, uh, I try to, you know, the best that I can when I've never, uh, you know, met somebody in person and things like that previously to, to having them on the podcast. Um, I try to just scroll through, you know, their social media specifically, usually <laughs> it's Instagram and read through yeah. some, some posts. So I did see something about uh, kind of like when you got uh, like a, a new bike and, yeah. and it was something where you kind of said like you, you, this was kind of like your first, uh, I don't know necessarily how you worded <laughs> it, but it was kind of a big point in your life because it's something mm. like maybe like an outlet or something that you kind of found that you really enjoyed. So talk about, uh, mountain biking, uh, riding your bike. Like how has mm. that kind of like impacted you in a, in a positive way and, and talk about then also the importance of getting that, that morning movement in before you kind of go to work and, and finish out the rest of your day. 
Sure. So um, just so you know, a little bit of my background was I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't like really work out growing up. Um, I was definitely like an overweight child and didn't have any like sport that I was good at. Um, my brother-in-law says that the kids in my family were like indoor kids. Like we like to read books. We like to study like that kind of stuff. Um, didn't, I mean, I played softball in kindergarten. I tried basketball cause I'm, I'm like almost six feet tall. So very like, oh, this could be my sport, like terrible depth perception, terrible coordination. Like it's just not my thing. Um, so when I was in beauty school, I started like working out at a gym. When I moved to Colorado, I joined a gym and met a trainer who kind of got me into doing some weightlifting. Um, he later opened a CrossFit gym. I didn't work out at his gym. It just wasn't like in my area. Um, but I later joined a CrossFit gym and got really into weightlifting Turns out I'm still not very like dynamic or super athletic in a lot of this traditional sense. So like the gymnastic stuff was not for me. I remember that coach actually telling me like, oh, it'll take, it takes three months to do a one pull-up. Like I can train anyone to do a pull-up, like a strict pull-up in, in three months. And I mean, that was maybe 12 years ago and I, I've still never done a pull-up. I don't think I'm ever going to do a pull-up. Uh, <laughs> it's just not how my body is built or like what I'm into. Um, so I ended up leaving CrossFit later, um, because I wanted to just do things differently. So I joined another gym that had like different locations that did different things. So, um, one of the locations had spin bikes, so I would do spin, you know, maybe five days a week. Um, but they also had a location that had strength training. So I started doing that. And then, um, I don't even remember like what sparked it. Actually, I think it was a breakup that sparked it, but I decided to get my USA weightlifting certification. So I started actually coaching at that gym, um, but just didn't really have a lot of time for it. And just like with my schedule, it was like, you know, I, I it didn't give me the chance to work, work and work out. You know, if you teach a spin class, you, you get to work out while you're doing it. And it took up my Sunday mornings and it was hard to find subs. So I ended up leaving that gym. Um, and, um, getting a Peloton for my house. So bought a Peloton, got into that, have really enjoyed it. Um, and then I met my current boyfriend and, you know, he'd see my numbers on the bike and he was really into road biking. And I'll, I'll tell you something that was important to me this last time that I was single as I was dating. Um, you know, we actually, he and I met on Bumble, uh, as I was dating, I, I, I've always really liked to work out, but have had not always the healthiest relationship with working out and eating and those kinds of things. And so in this phase, I didn't want, like, I wanted to be like, yeah, I work out, but I didn't want it to be a personality trait. So if people like, oh, like, what did you do today? I'd be like, oh, like did a little workout. Like I never made it like a big deal. So then when I met him and he was really into road biking was like, oh yeah, like I have this Peloton like that I kind of use, whatever, and and tried not to make it a big big deal because I didn't want it to be, I didn't want the expectations to be anything. And I also didn't want it to be like a competitive thing or or whatever. So, you know, he's looking at my numbers and he's like, oh, like we should like, do you want to go on a bike ride? So I had this little hybrid bike that I had bought uh maybe seven-ish years ago that um my salon at the time had a location downtown Denver 
And I realized it was actually faster for me to commute on a bike than by car because of what time I was going in and out of the salon. So <laughs> thank, thank goodness there's some good bike lanes and infrastructure right through the city of Denver. Um, and then I didn't have to pay for parking either. So that was like a win-win. So that's kind of like what I had used the bike for. And so started going on bike rides and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, he, he said, Hey, you know, you should get a road bike. So I had a neighbor who had a bike that I, th I thought he was going to sell to me. So I borrowed it, uh, Memorial day weekend last year and he, he wouldn't sell it to me and that sucked, but, uh, we went out, hit some dirt, did some road biking around the city and I just had so much fun. So I decided like, okay, I want to get a bike, but due to COVID it's hard to like get a hold of a bike. And, um, I had seen this bike on Facebook marketplace that I was like, Oh, that's, that's a cool bike. Um, of course, like the color, like how it looks is to me, what, what makes the bike cool. Um, so it's a salsa cutthroat. It's a, what's called a gravel bike. So it has like kind of the geometry of a road bike. My boyfriend would tell you that it's a, a mountain bike with drop bars. Um, but I don't mountain bike. So but it's, it's pretty, it's lightweight. It's, it's, it's nice. So I had seen it, um, hadn't seen it come up for a while. It came back up and I decided to go meet the owner of it. And she was a real cool lady. She met me at the park and I got on it and I took a lap and I said, okay, I, I want to buy it. <laughs> and she was super excited because she said that like, when I got off the bike, or, like when I pulled back up, you know, from doing my lap, she's like, you just were like beaming. Like you were just so excited and happy. And, and that's what I would love for this person who takes this bike. She had bought it and it was just a little bit too big for her. And if you're not familiar with biking, you can make a small bike bigger, but you can't make a big bike smaller. So just not, not the right bike for her. So, um, actually just rode it home and <laughs> now it's my bike. And I, I got home and my boyfriend said, what did you think? I said, I, I loved it. He said, love it enough to buy it. I said, yeah, I love enough that I bought it. And for full disclosure, it was like $3,000. So it's, it wasn't a cheap purchase. It was a nice bike. Um, but we just started going on these rides. And I, I think what I said on my Instagram post was something about how it took me like 35 and a half years to find a hobby that I really enjoyed. Um, but, you know, I feel like I've kind of tried on a bunch of different things and they haven't always been a good fit or the right fit or, or something that brings me joy, or I just feel like a lot of pressure. And I remind him constantly, well, <laughs> he loves to coach me and have me get better that like, Hey, this, this needs to stay fun for me. So, you know, I've had the bike since last June. I joke that I bought it for his birthday because then I could go ride with him. Um, I still don't clip in and he <laughs> teases me about it like every day. Hey, we need to work on this. Hey, we need to work on that. And it's like, maybe I'll get there. Maybe I won't. Um, but what I found is that I'm not like some incredible biker or something, but, uh, I have a lot of power. Like I'm a really strong girl. Like I'm very like Scottish, like you know, all my weightlifting training has really translated into being able to throw down some power on the bike. Um, I am totally like a scaredy cat. Like I ride my brakes on turns and sometimes down hills, but that's one reason I have found that like, I just keep doing the route that I do all of the time because then I, you know, I know the route and I can practice things. Um, you know, I can break down the segments and get faster on those, like that kind of thing and challenge myself in that way. And then on the weekends, we'll go out together and, um, you know, ride all over the city. Like last week, he took me on a super long ride. We did like 55 miles. It was really uncomfortable, but, uh, it's been a fun way to challenge myself. Um, 
to find some independence, to find something I love and, and to get better at something, but it's also something that we get to do together that we really enjoy. Um, and like I have said earlier, it's an opportunity to like not be on your phone. Like when I'm on my Peloton, sometimes it's easy to grab my, pick it up my phone, scroll, check emails, whatever. Um, but you know, you can't, you can't do that when you're, you know, riding a trail or hanging out with somebody. So it's, it's been a really uh, fun thing that I love to do. Beautiful. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Now, um, I, I think this next question, Kara, is going to be, uh, since you kind of alluded to being an indoor person growing up and <laughs> being, being into books and stuff, I think this will be a perfect question for you. So um, do you have, and, and if there's more than one, don't, don't be overwhelmed. If you have to, you don't have to just choose one. If there's more than sure. one, feel free to share. But um, do you have a favorite book? Um, and then you mentioned listening to podcasts. So also, do you have a favorite podcast? So favorite book, favorite podcast, if there's more than one, if there's 10, just share, share them with us if you don't mind. So I think this is actually going to surprise you that I, I don't. Um, and maybe that's because there are a lot that I enjoy. Um, as an adult, I realized that I have ADHD. And so reading for me has always been a little bit of like a tricky, like I have loved to read and I have done lots of it, but I don't read a lot of like traditional books. I don't really like a lot of like fiction books. Um, like a lot of the reading I do is more like self-help or like psychology type stuff because it keeps my attention a lot better and helps me like reflect and that kind of thing. I do a lot of audiobooks because I, I like to have like, well, one, I like for people to share their stories and I, almost never listen to audiobooks that aren't narrated by the author. Um, but I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. So, you know, she, she says that she's a researcher storyteller and, and I believe that through and through, I love listening to her, um, you know, share her stories and her research and just to hear that voice behind her. Um, you know, some books that I want to listen to are, are a little bit dry, but it's, I still think it's important to hear it from the author. Um, so I usually rotate between like a few different books at a time that are on kind of different topics, but all like within that realm. So like right now I'm listening um, to a book on leadership. I'm listening to the uh, Oprah and um, Bruce Perry, the guy that wrote The Body Keeps the Score, um, What Happened to You. That's a really interesting one, um, but it's also like really hard to digest. So I prefer to listen, you know, a chapter or two at a time. And then come back um, after I've applied whatever I've learned, whether it's to myself or to my work. Um, the one I'm just about finished with right now is the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John C. Maxwell, which I have found like super helpful in my work. Um, so, you know, I'll listen to a chapter, I'll take some things that I've learned, I'll come to work, um, apply that in how I do my do stuff with myself and and my work life, but also come to my boss and say, Hey, I learned this really good thing. Or I heard this quote and I thought it was really good. Um, but I don't really have I'm trying to think of if I have a book that I just like read, that's really like changed me. And I, and I don't think it has, I re-listen to stuff all of the time. A lot of things feel fluid in my head. Sometimes I can't remember who told me what, um, but yeah that's kind of, kind of where I am with the books and, and same thing with the podcasts. Um, I love Glenn podcast. It's super funny. Um, what else have I been listening to? Terry Cole, uh, Mark Groves, 
um, just stuff on like relationships, because that's the kind of stuff that I find really applicable and, and relatable in my own life. Cool. Yeah. You, uh, you can't go wrong with, uh, Brene Brown. I mean, she's, uh, uh, just very, obviously very intelligent, but, um, you hit the nail on the head with, with her for sure. So, um, okay. Now, uh, this one, uh, is, is might be a deep one, but I, I would love to know, um, and it can be, if it, if it hasn't been over the last year, we can last two years or whatever, sure. but, um, what, what's kind of a life lesson, um, that you've been taught, uh, over the last year or the last couple of years? Is there anything that you look back over the last year, two years and say, man, like this is what life has taught me, or this is really what I learned that's maybe helped you to, to move forward? Lots, lots of those. And uh, so many of those come from the stuff that I've listened to and and just things that have given me introspective. And I mean, you can't talk about the last few years without talking about COVID and how it's really changed us. Mm -hmm. Um and something that I like really believe is that um, relationships and community are are really important now more than ever. And I think COVID really shifted that because some people lost the community that they had had or realized that they like were missing community. I grew up in a small town in a big family in religion. So like community on community on community. And it's something that I really like to build no matter where I'm at. So whether it's at my gym or my job or like with friends, I love gathering people and having them get together. But I think um, one thing I've really learned through COVID is it's just really important to see people as people instead of what their religion is or what their political party is or their thoughts on COVID or, you know, who they voted for or, you know, any of any of those things, because we really miss out on connection when we don't take the time to figure out who people are at their core. And and I think that labels are given to people for the person giving the label, not for the person you're giving the label to. Um, I think that's a huge one when it comes to like sexuality and that kind of stuff. Like, are they gay? Are they straight? Like, why do I need to know what they are? And, and when I decide that for them or or give them that label, it just it's for my comfort level, not for theirs. And so really removing those labels and those barriers has really helped me connect with people in a way that I wasn't before, I guess. Um, and maybe we didn't need to before things have changed a lot in society, but I would say that is a huge, huge lesson that I've learned. And I, I hope, um, other people learned it too. Um, and then the other, lesson I'd say that's really been apparent in the last few years for me is just that it's okay to change your mind. It's okay to learn and grow. And in fact, it's, it's a good thing. And I feel like when I change my mind, what's really important is to be very confident and saying, Hey, I changed my mind instead of feeling like a hypocrite or feeling like, you know, a bad person, whether it's, you know, I need to leave a relationship or for me, it was my religion um, or, you know, something that used to be my values that, you know, that's, that's not what I'm into anymore or whatever, rather than just hiding behind it or, or trying to like hide on social media that I'm doing things different than I used to just being very confident, like, Hey, this is who I am in this phase of my life. And it's not that I'm trying to hide something or latch onto something else. It's just a matter of like in this evolution, this is where I'm at and, and being very confident in that. Okay. Now something I want to kind of pull out of what you just shared, Kara, is uh, 
you know, like you, you're just, what you just said is talking about, uh, you know, you know, you, it's okay to change your mind and, you know, talked about like leaving your religion. Now, um, would you say that fear, like in, in what you just shared that, that latter, uh, uh, you know, uh, verbiage there, do you, do you feel like fear is something that you've had to, uh, deal with, overcome, break through in some of these lessons that you've learned in terms of letting go of things or changing your mind, being okay with changing, like, Talk about that. Is is fear something that you felt, uh, and and again that you've had to break through to kind of be the human that you are presently? Absolutely, and I think it's something that will always be a challenge for me. Um, I am a very fearful person. If you're familiar with Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram Six, which is the loyal skeptic. Fear is a huge motivator for me, um, but I feel like I know that, and I try to use it to my advantage instead of um, letting it be something that gets in my way all of the time, being able to address head on, like, Hey, this is very scary for me. And this is how I need to approach it. This is what kind of support I need. Um, this is what I need to know is on the other side to make me feel safe. Um, like I crave that safety and security. So, so fear is a very scary thing. Um, but I think the, the thing that the antidote to fear for me is, um, just like information and education, like knowing what's on the other side and knowing like, what is the worst case scenario? What is the best case scenario? And is it worth risking, you know, worst case scenario for what could be best case scenario and then making my decision based on that. Cool. All right. All right. Last uh, kind of uh, uh, conversation starter question. Uh, do you have a favorite quote, mantra or word? Lots of those uh, too, but I'll share with you this. You might've seen this on my Instagram, but my uh, mantra for 2023 um, actually came, came from a Peloton instructor. Um, but for a long time, my, my uh, mantra has been work hard, rest hard. And my mantra this year is work hard, relax harder. Uh, I'm definitely like a grind, grind, grind kind of person. Um I would much rather like get all my work done in a concentrated period and then totally rest or relax. And hmm, sometimes it's hard for me to do. I, I think especially society wants you to fear losing your success or your money or, or whatever. And that, you know, you got to go to work all of the time. And that's something I've really, I've actually really learned a lot about um, post COVID with, with my job. I know we haven't talked a lot about me being a hairdresser because <laughs> you probably have don't understand what uh what that actually looks like for me on a day to day but we're, we're going to get into that we'll get into that okay we can get into that but with this younger generation of of the girls that I'm working with and that I'm training um you know they call in sick and it's like I I don't think I've ever called in sick before <laughs> um but I what I've really realized and and talking to other hairdressers and people that own salons and things is that they just can't believe that people are demanding rest and time off. Um, and I think that when any of us find that to be ridiculous, it's really laced in jealousy and that we're jealous that we can't take that time to rest and relax too. So I've, I've tried to really learn some lessons like from these younger girls of just finding more balance and realizing that, you know, success isn't just necessarily money or numbers or statistics or whatever it's 
it's having that work-life balance and enjoying your life on a day-to-day basis. Hmm. Awesome. Okay. Now we're going to transition into, uh, your, your childhood and your, your upbringing. Okay. This is like one of the, the funnest parts of, of podcasting for me, uh, is just really digging into people's backstory, uh, because we are in large part, uh, you know, currently we're, we are who we are today because of, you know, the influences of childhood, the adults that we were around when we were growing up, uh, we, we can never escape that for better or for worse. So, um, why don't you uh, talk a little bit? You already kind of mentioned growing up in a small town. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in a small town, less than 5,000 people in Iowa. So I'd like to know how small was your town, but <laughs> um, where did you grow up? Uh, you mentioned kind of being uh, in a small town, big family, religion. Uh, you, you mentioned being uh, overweight, I think earlier mm-hmm. when you were younger. So would you just paint that picture of your, <laughs> your childhood as, as much as you want, as in depth as you want? And sure. just kind of take us up to about high school, because okay. then uh, I want to kind of transition us uh, past high school with some other questions. Okay. Okay. Um, I have lots to share, so please feel free to interrupt if you have any questions or or want to know anything deeper, specific. I don't like I could get real deep on some of this stuff. So, um, let me let me know if you need anything from me too. Um, so I grew up in a town called Pittsburgh, Texas. I always say that, you know, you're from a small town when it's named after a big town. Um, cause you know, you've got Paris, Texas, there's neighboring Omaha, Texas, uh, you know, Manhattan, Kansas, there's all kinds of funny places. So, um, when I lived there, the population was about 4,000 people. And, um, if anyone has ever heard of Pittsburgh, Texas, the reason being is that they're, it's all chicken farms. Um, so Pilgrim's Pride Chicken is based out of, um, well, it used to be based out of Pittsburgh, Texas. I think it's now actually based out of Greeley, Colorado, which is really funny. Um, but I would say pretty much everyone in the town either worked for the town or um, worked for pilgrims. So kind of an interesting place, uh, especially in the hot, humid summers with so many chicken farms. Um, so I grew up there. Um <laughs> my mom ran a daycare in our house, so she did not work for, Pil- none, we didn't work for pilgrims. Um, my home life was very rocky. Um, my biological dad was very emotionally and verbally abusive. Um, like it was, it was a rough time and, and in a small town too, where there's lots going on. I don't know, know how much a lot of my friends and people in my life really realized like what was going on at home. Um, but I do have to say that my mom, while we sometimes butt heads, is a very strong woman and um, made the choice to divorce him and, and split up, which was one of the best things she could have done for for us. And we had a conversation a handful of years ago about some of that and like the night that led up to her making that decision. But she essentially said that she she re- she thought she was staying in that marriage for her kids. And then she realized that being in that marriage was actually hurting her kids and that's why she needed to leave. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad for her and for us and all of those things. Um, but he and I butted heads a lot. I'm a very strong, independent person. Um, I particularly was very picked on, um, by him. And, um, when I was about 12, I brought him into a therapy session. Thank God that my mom got me to therapy when I needed it. And I actually, told him like, I don't want to have a relationship with you anymore. Um, and 
still don't, I'm 36 now. So, um, I'm really glad that I was able to just kind of end that and, um, move forward. Sometimes I forget that he exists, which is crazy. Um, but one by one, all of my siblings pretty much have ended their relationships with him. Also, um, he lives somewhere in Oregon. He's remarried. I don't know a whole lot of details. Um, don't really care, but I was telling someone the other day that he really like played the victim in that scenario. And like, like if he was on this podcast right now, he would tell you about how, you know, we were mean to him and my mom kept him from us or whatever, but him playing that victim was actually the best thing he could have done because he's never tried to, to have that relationship with me again, because then he, he can't play that role. So that's been really good for me. Um, so my mom and my biological dad had five kids. Uh, so I have an older sister, younger brother, and then two younger sisters. Um, we're all spread out all over the country now. And then, uh, so after my parents got divorced, we moved to Salt Lake city, Utah. Um, I was raised Mormon from being a little kid. Uh, I mean my whole life we were, we were Mormons. And I think that's one facade that my biological dad like was able to put up was he was this Mormon man who was actually doing lots of things behind closed doors that did not, you know, coincide with, with church beliefs um, or just Christian beliefs or, or whatever. Um, but growing up Mormon in Texas was very different than my experience with it in Salt Lake city, because in Texas, it was like multiple towns came together as a congregation and and really built this really great community. And you saw a lot more diversity at church. You saw a lot more skin colors. You heard a lot more beliefs. People wore a lot of different types of clothing, that kind of thing. And it became, something that I really enjoyed because we'd have like, um, like youth activities and stuff. And I got to see all my friends. Um, I felt like it was a lot more of like the core values of the religion that I grew up in. And then we moved to Utah and there was a lot of that like hypocrisy. Um, in hindsight, I, I feel really bad for a lot of the like teenagers that were going through what I would now call a faith crisis, but maybe they just didn't believe it or, or didn't want to follow the, the rules, which are pretty strict. Um, cause they didn't believe in it. They didn't, they didn't have faith in it, but like, it was very obvious who was following the rules and who wasn't. And so there was a lot of judgment based on, um, people's actions that in regular society would, would have not been a big deal. Um, if you're not familiar you know, Mormons don't, don't drink alcohol. They don't have sex before they're married, but they also don't drink coffee. And so like now that's more of a culturally acceptable thing, just, you know, for teenagers in general to have coffee, but it was like, you know, you'd go to beans and brews and you would see someone that you knew and you were like, oh no, they're drinking coffee. Like they must have lost their faith or, or whatever. Like so many silly things, um, wearing, you know, clothing that was too, immodest or revealing, um, all these things just became something that othered people from each other. Um, but when we moved to Utah, my mom got remarried, um, to my stepdad, Eric, who is amazing. I love him. He's just such a great man and he loves my mom so much. And he really put up with, with all of us and welcomed all five kids into his home, which was just I mean, he deserves some sort of award for, for his patience and kindness. And, um, he has two kids. So I have a stepbrother and stepsister that so conveniently are the same age as 
my older sister and my younger brother. So um, there's five of us that are really close in age and then a little break and then the, the two younger kids. So people just assume that, you know, we're split, but it's like, nope, we're, we're all completely blended. Um, but yeah, my parents live there in Salt Lake city now. Um, and I have two brothers that live in Salt Lake and a sister and then two sisters in Oregon and a sister in Austin. And then I'm here in Denver. So we're, we're all spread out. We don't get together a ton. Um, but they're all really fantastic people. I have 11 nieces and nephews and one on the way. So big, big family, um, of my biological siblings, only one is practicing Mormon. Still my parents are practicing. Um, they run a really cool program with their church where they teach Sunday school at the men's jail. So very accepting of my lifestyle because, you know, having some drinks on the weekend isn't, you know, jail worthy. So they're really cool. Um, uh, other things from childhood. Let's see. Uh, so like I said, I, I grew up really overweight. A lot of that was like emotional eating. Um, my biological dad's a binge eater and <clears throat> too, like growing up in a big family, you know, if, if mom brings home a pack of cookies and she says, you know, you each get three for us. If we didn't eat three right then, we probably didn't get them because either your sibling would eat yours or he would get up in the night and binge them. So a lot of like food scarcity, especially not having a lot of money, those kinds of things. Um, so that really shaped some, some parts of my relationship with food, um, which in my late teens and then into adulthood, which we can get to, um, led to a lot of disordered eating, which I actively struggle with now and have had to kind of figure that out with my relationship with exercise and just, you know, kind of regular life. Um, but I was definitely teased and picked on a lot for my weight and just, especially moving to Utah where the vanity culture is, is very huge. You probably know that from the fitness industry, there's a lot of fitness professionals that come out of Salt Lake. Um, just a lot of pressure to like, look and be a certain way. And that's something that coincides with the religion too. It's just like, everyone wants to appear to be perfect, whether they are or not. So a lot of pressure there to like, have a specific look. Okay. Now, in terms of school, uh, you, you mentioned kind of being picked on and stuff because of your yeah. weight. Uh, did you did you enjoy school? Were you good at school? Talk a little bit about just acad the academic side of school, also sure. the, the social side of school. Um, just touch on that a little bit, you know, like middle school, high school age. Yeah, I um, we so we moved when I was in middle school. So that changed things a lot, um, like where I grew up we were an independent school district. So just small tight knit community. Um, even though I was picked on for my weight, I was still very accepted because everyone knew each other. You know, if I had graduated high school, um, there, I would have graduated with kids I went to preschool with. Um, so I, I would say that I had a, a good group of friends. That's also kind of an awkward time. Um, I'm still great friends with many of the people I grew up with. And then we moved and, the thing was, is I was good at school, but when I moved to Utah's people didn't really know that, which was actually a really helpful thing for me because when I lived in Texas, it was like, people like would always call me to help them study or they'd try to cheat off me, things like that. And it was just kind of this label that I had. And, and there, that was a niche for me. Like I was a smart kid. Um, and then we moved to Utah and like, no one really knew that. And it was, it was great. I just kind of blended in, which 
also was kind of difficult too. Um, cause I didn't like, I didn't have an identity anymore. Um, but in high school living in Utah, um, I had some friends, but never great friends. Um, typically hung out with people older than me. So then they all graduated. Um, I was working in high school at the Hello Kitty store in the mall and became really good friends with my manager who was much older than me. Um, and, uh, I would hang out with her a lot. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really have like a good group of friends in high school. Um, I didn't get asked to dances. I didn't do a lot of dating. Um, definitely didn't really feel like I fit in both aesthetically, religiously, like just, just didn't fit. So I actually ended up graduating high school early and, um, I moved to Provo, Utah, which is where BYU is. Um, and like got an apartment when I, I mean, was like BYU housing, but I was supposed to be a senior in high school and I was living in college housing, um, which just was a better fit for me. I was working, I was doing that. And then, um, eventually went to beauty school there. Okay. Now, uh, it sounds like your, your stepdad, uh, was a positive influence for you when he came into your life. Now, was there anybody else kind of in terms of adults, like teachers? Uh, I don't think it doesn't sound like you played sports much, but were there any <laughs> other adults outside of your, your, uh, stepdad that you feel like, uh, you have a lot of gratitude for, for them being in your life when you were younger? My grandma, my mom's mom has always been very special to me. Um, my middle name is her name. And I just joke that I'm like, you know, the younger version of her. Um, she was, she's, she's feisty. She's spunky. She's funny. She's really intelligent. She's a great storyteller. She has a great memory. Like I do. She's 88 now. She's still alive. Um, but she had a lot of compassion for me, especially in that transition of living with my mom and my dad. Like I, you know, spent a whole summer living with her and she kind of saw some of that like hurt and struggle that I was going through. And, um, I wouldn't say she did anything specific. She just was there for me and really was like a sound, um, voice. I also had, I had some good teachers and some church leaders that were like decent. Um, one thing that really sticks out, that's kind of a funny story was the, um, when I was in high school, we could take aerobics. So one, I wanted to take aerobics because then I didn't have to take traditional gym class. Um, but two, I was, you know, I struggled with my weight. And so this seemed like an app outlet for me to, you know, help me with that. And, um, it was at a rec center, like down the street from the school. And so they had, a the, the aerobics teacher, he didn't actually teach the class. Uh, he just facilitated us being there was the football coach. And, um, during my short senior year, it was only three months long. Um, I finished my first trimester and then graduated. He like aerobics was my last class and it was off campus. And so if I didn't have to go to work, then I would go in the cardio room or in the weight room and do some weights or whatever. Um, he was like a very calm and like quiet person. He, he wasn't very talkative, but I'd be like, his name was coach bullet. I'd say, okay, coach bullet, I've got an hour. What should I do? And he'd take me in the cardio room and he'd set up the elliptical or whatever. And he, and then he just leave. And something about that, like quiet, steady, like belief in me was very, very powerful. Um, when I was 20, 
four, I ran a whole marathon and, um, I year or so after I sent him an email, he still works for the high school or he did then and said, Hey, like, I just want to share with you that, you know, you just being there and being constant for me, um, made a huge impact on me. And I just did this thing. And I don't think I would have ever done it if you hadn't set me kind of on this path. Um, he never responded, which was fine, but he had one of my younger sisters in class that year. And she, she called me and she's like, did you email coach bullet? I was like, yeah, I, I did. (laughs) She's like, he came up to me and asked if I was your sister and said that you sent him a really nice email and that he really appreciated it. But I also just like wanted him to know, like as a football coach, he probably had no idea what impact he was making on this girl in this aerobics class that he didn't even teach, you know? Um, so he's someone that really randomly stands out. Um, but no, I don't, I, I can't think of any particular, I mean, I had some friends, parents, those kinds of things, but not any like one person that I, I can think of. Okay. Now, uh, at what point in your life, uh, Kara, did you, uh, decide you wanted to be a, a hairdresser? Because it sounds like you pursued that, uh, right after high school. So talk, sure. talk to a little, talk to us a little bit about that. And then, uh, we're going to kind of go in that direction of, because that's okay. your profession. And then we're, we're going to b- bounce around a little bit, uh, from there. Okay. So, um, I essentially went to beauty school because I didn't have any money and, um, I figured I could kind of have this college experience, which I mean, it was in Provo, Utah. So it was not a real college experience, even if you went to the real college. Um, but when I was probably like 12 or 13, my mom told me one day, she said, you know, if you don't get a college scholarship, you can't go to college because I don't have any money for you. Um, and, and I, I don't think that's wrong. Like when people talk now about saving for their kids college, what a gift if you can pay for their education, but I don't, I don't necessarily think parents should have to pay for their kids school or that that should be assumed. Um, so like my older sister had gone to BYU on a full ride scholarship. I mean, anyone in my family with a degree basically went to school on scholarship. Um, so I ended up going to the Paul Mitchell school, um, in Provo and I was working at, um, circuit city I don't think exists anymore. And this guy came through my line one day and he was wearing a Paul Mitchell shirt. And so, you know, I'm friendly and talking to him. I'm like, oh, do you work for Paul Mitchell? And he's like, I don't, what are you talking about? And he realizes what shirt he's wearing. He said, no, my, uh, my sister gave me this shirt. Her name is also Kara. Um, and she owns a salon in Littleton, Colorado. And he left me with her email address and she became like a mentor to me through beauty school. I mean, very lightly, we honestly, we didn't talk a ton, but later reconnected. And and that's actually how I moved to Denver and work at the salon that I work at. Um, but it was just something that seemed like it could be a creative outlet for me. Um, that wasn't super expensive. I worked two jobs during beauty school, one full-time during the day. Um, I went to school from five to 10 at night, Monday through Thursday. And then I worked a job on the weekends too. So I could pay for school, um, because I just didn't have that like familial help with that part. Hmm. Okay. Now, uh, at what point then? So when you graduated from beauty school, Kara, did Mm -hmm. you move out to Colorado then like immediately? How did you, I mean, you just said how you got out to Colorado, but when did you actually move, move out there? So I finished school that September. I came to Littleton to check out this one in December and I moved here that next February. 
Oh, wow. Okay. So what pretty quickly. 2007. Oh, you've been out there for a long time then, huh? Yes. Yep. Since I was 20. Um, my best friend actually came with me. She moved here that April, um, but didn't, she's, she worked at the salon also, but she, um, she met her husband right away, like at church, like immediately. And then, um, they had a little boy and when he was six months old, they moved back to Salt Lake. So he's almost 11. So she's been, she's been gone for a while, but we, we lived together and and worked together for quite a while. So I wasn't totally by myself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now let's talk. Okay. Let's talk about being a a hairdresser. Cause uh, I mean, I don't, I don't really know a whole lot. My mom, you don't? My mom actually went to beauty school way, way back in the day, but uh, that's about all I know. And I've had a lot of bad haircuts. So when I move back out to Colorado, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to (laughs) thank you and have you uh, take care of my hair because I need need help in that department. But um, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, because you mentioned earlier, kind of like the the younger uh, hairdressers and kind of just how, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of these younger generations, how, how they're different. Right. And that's, that's how it is with every generation, every uh, field there is, but how has, uh, you know, the hair uh, dressing, if that's the right terminology, <laughs> uh, profession or salon profession, how has it changed and evolved over the years if it has, if, if that kind of makes sense? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, I mean, COVID has really changed it, um, like just to work backwards on the timeline, Um it's created a lot of flexibility, not necessarily from my end, but because clients can come like in the middle of the day that maybe couldn't have before. Um, so like when I started at the salon, it was required that you worked every Saturday and two nights a week and, um, like, like a 12 to eight shift, um, versus like a nine to five or whatever, um, 10 to six, whatever. Um, and now it's like, I feel like I, at night I'm the only I'm the only one there. Like I've like every time it's nighttime I'm like, man, am I the only one working? Like my clients are like, where is everybody? I'm like, they worked earlier. Like they're done. Um, yeah, people can come in. They'll come in with their laptops and do a little bit of work while they're getting their hair done. So that's really shifted that ability um, to get people in at different times. And I always tell them like if they're on their computer, like. I, I don't mind that if, you know, if you working a little bit while you're here gives you the opportunity to come during the day, like do whatever you need to do, take a call, that kind of thing. Um, that's changed. Um, I heard a statistic from a guy that runs a beauty podcast that like every year there's say like 10,000 salons open and 10,000 salons close. And he said that during COVID, like, like salons closed and salons didn't open. So that kind of changed the game a lot. Um, personally, I found through COVID, like I, I did lose some clients. Um, maybe they moved, maybe they just didn't want to commute anymore. Maybe they felt like having fresh eyes or something different. Totally fine. Like always happy. You know, people are happy. I'm, I'm happy. Um, but I got a ton of new clients, which was just crazy. Like, you know, I hadn't had that many new clients so frequently for my whole career, like since I started, I get, excuse me, I guess. Um, but I mean, things are more expensive. People are charging for their time. It, it can be a very lucrative career. Um, there's a lot of, you know, people just assume like people think about great clips, like that kind of stuff, which is a great place to start for some people. And maybe that's where people want to be. 
Um, but it's given me a lot of flexibility and freedom to have the lifestyle that I want and, um, to just find something I, I love to do. Um, like I, I enjoy going to work. It's, it's a lot of work and my body gets tired and sometimes I'm emotionally exhausted and drained at the end of the day, but it's, it's a really cool career. That's also given me a lot of financial freedom. And I, I didn't, I don't think I really knew that was possible when I, when I started doing it. Okay. So one element I want to discuss about, uh, your profession, because, uh, I currently, uh, own a gym and, and have clients in terms of personal training clients, right? So you have clients, um, and, and some people, uh, off the cuff might be like, where are you going with this? But hear me out. I mean, you have clients, it's just like anybody that has like a service, like a, a, a masseuse, right. A, a massage therapist, uh, chiropractor, personal trainer, mm -hmm. hairdresser. There's, uh, a personal, uh, uh, element in terms of, you know, listening to the client instructing the client, like there's, there's a relationship, especially if you have a client for a, an extended period of time, right? You, you build rapport, you build the relationship, you, you hear about all of their baggage and all of their garbage and all their highs and all their lows. So, um, so I, I understand that aspect of your profession, right? Yep. Now I thoroughly enjoy in-person human connection. And like I said, before we turn on the podcast, once I get back out to Colorado, I'm going to be doing these podcasts in person because there's just something different about feeling the energy of another human being, being in a room with somebody, asking them questions, listening to them, getting to know them, just connecting on that human level, right? It's, it's powerful. We were created, evolved, however you want to word it for that specifically. Now, my question for you, Kara, is what has that, how has that impacted you, that human element of your profession, getting to know people over an extended period of time, helping them, making them feel better by giving them a great haircut or whatever, like talk about that. How, how has that impacted you in a, in a positive sense? You know, Quentin, you just, that question exactly embodies why I have been successful in my job. Um, I like doing hair. I think that I'm good at it. Um, I've spent a lot of hours doing it, right? I said, I've been, I've been in the same salon for 16 years. Um, if you saw my schedule and saw how many people I see every day, it doing hair is going through the motions. And, and I tell clients all the time, like, am I passionate about doing hair? Hmm, sometimes like, do you think I get excited about doing a partial highlight? Like, no, I really don't. But do I get excited about doing a partial highlight? Like on you, on this particular client? Absolutely. All, all the time. That's what makes all the difference. And I think that because I really built my clientele on connecting with people. Um, I don't really have a lot of clients that I don't like, like, if we're not driving or I don't feed into their drama or I'm not the right flavor for them, they just don't come back to see me. And my feelings are not hurt over that. Um, I always hope that I can give them the best hair that they're going to love. And, and I do, I take the time to educate myself. I take a lot of classes. I watch a lot of videos on Instagram. I'm saving things. I'm trying things. I'm practicing. I, I go to every hair show, every class that my salon gives me the opportunity to that, that stuff is important, but showing up and being there for people is huge. It It is, I mean, I remember a particular client coming back um, after COVID. It was, it was actually her birthday yesterday. She turned 40 during COVID. She's not married. She was in her house by herself, pretty isolated. 
And our salons were only closed for seven weeks. That's not, that's not very long compared to some of the other places. California was closed like almost a whole year off and on. Um, but she said to me when she sat in my chair that day, she said, you and your assistant are the only two people that I have touched since things closed down. And it's like, wow, the power of being able to touch someone to give them that relaxation. Um, like something that I love is, I mean, I, you know, Littleton's a suburb of Denver. You probably know that other people might not. Um, a, a lot of people I do are moms, right. And, and I'm not a mom. I don't have any kids. Um, but I, my mom, you know, had a bunch of kids and she took care of other people's kids. And so it's like, when I do their color, they process under a dryer and I like to walk them over if possible. I walk them over and set them under and say, can I get you anything to drink? Like, do you want any water, coffee, tea, whatever. And some people are so hesitant to say like, oh yeah, I, I would love some water because they don't want to inconvenience you. And, and I tell people all the time, let me take care of you. You take care of people all day at home, you know, you've got your job, whatever. If I can take the time to connect with you and, and do something for you, this is your time. Please let me do that for you. And I think that people really love that. It makes them feel very seen. And, and I don't do that as like a tactic, like, cause I genuinely believe that. And, you know, I, um, I get to hear people's stories and some of them are good. And some of them are, I mean, we're talking heartbreak, people, losing partners, people cheating on their partners, people getting cheated on, um, job promotions, losing their jobs, dealing with unemployment, losing like deaths and new relationships and weddings and all those things. But also those clients go through that with me. And I think that me showing up and just saying, Hey, I'm going through this thing helps them feel more connected to me too. Um, so I'm, you know, I don't like to like info dump on all my clients all the time, but I have no problem telling them like, Hey, I'm having a rough day or I'm going through this thing or, or whatever. And, um, you know, we'll often talk about like, Hey, I'm reading this book or listening to this podcast. And I, I learned this thing and I've just developed these relationships with people, um, that keep them coming back. Um, I'm getting ready to take a big trip. I'm going to be out of the salon for two weeks. So I'm trying to like get everyone scattered into other places, some of them will have to see other people while I'm gone and like, they don't want to. And they're, I'm like, well, you're just a root touch up and they have your formula and they're like, but it's not you. And it's like that, that just feels so great to have that connection. And and like I said, sometimes people move on and we're not always the right fit, or maybe they need something different. Maybe people don't like that. that that's okay. But it's worked for me and it fulfills me in a way that I never knew that it could, um, and it's, it's, it's a thing about my job that gives back to me. Love that. Now on the flip side, uh, I've had to learn, uh, that I have to protect my energy. I have to, uh, a lot of times with certain clients, I, I have a lot of youth clients and not necessarily with the youth, but with the adult clients, because it's a whole different energy. It's a whole different, yeah. whole different ball game. Right. So I've had to learn that. Uh, because, you know, I've, I've struggled with anxiety and there's, there's, we all have struggles, right? And right. some people just kind of uh, will, I don't want to, I don't want to use the word trigger my anxiety, but some people just, they're so high strung. They bring in mm -hmm. so much anxiety themselves, so much like just crazy energy. It's like, whoa, man. Cause I'm, I'm like super mellow, super chill. And that's what I like. Right. Yep. 
So I've had to learn to protect my energy to kind of like, I, I have my guard up with certain clients, which I don't like that, but I, I have to do that for the, for my own sanity, especially if I'm seeing multiple clients in a day, adult clients now. So my question for you, Kara, is mm-hmm. have, have you had to kind of learn that? And if so, um, how do you have that balance of like, you know, really trying to be there for your clients and listening to them, but also protecting your own energy, protecting your own self? Because sometimes people are going to share things with you that you really, maybe it's like gossip. Like, I, I don't want to yeah. hear any gossip. Like, that's just one of my things because it just, it just can be really poisonous. So, sure. so how do you protect yourself when somebody's sharing stuff that you just really don't want to hear or don't want to consume? You know, that's tricky because I'm, I am such an empath, but some of that stuff, I don't necessarily mind them sharing because the way I look at it is it's, it's like, it kind of gets left there and that gives them a place, especially if they're not putting it it on me. But when you talk about personal triggers, like I have brought up earlier, I've struggled with eating disorders for a long time. And that's something in my chair that I don't allow much talk about is food and weight and diets and that kind of stuff, like, like in a negative light. Um, I just had a client the other day bring up that she's not drinking beer and eating cookies or something. And she's like, I've already lost 10 pounds. And I just like basically ignored it. Like, you know, I didn't have to set the boundary with her because the conversation like fell to the wayside and actually kind of teased her when she left. I was like, well, hopefully like, you know, I'll see you in six weeks. Like, hopefully you're not too miserable from, you know, eliminating your cookies and beer, like just kind of teasing her about it. But during COVID, um, I, my eating disorder got super triggered. Um, what, you know, people call intermittent fasting consumed me and I I lost a lot of weight. Um, so I was basically sitting at home, just starving myself. And so I came back into the salon, hadn't seen people in a while and they're, you know, everyone's posting these memes about drinking wine and eating at home. And here I am just like withering away. And like, I was in a relationship, a relationship where I wasn't happy. He was not helping with my eating disorder, that kind of thing. And so then I come in the salon and you know, like, oh my gosh, like what happened to you? Like you've lost all this weight. You're looking great. And I would just kind of tell people like, yeah, I've, I've been kind of struggling with some eating stuff and you know, it's been really hard and I'm trying to take better care of myself. Um, but it's something that even years, these three years later, it hasn't, it's not completely subsided. Um, so I had one particular client that I see every few weeks and she made a comment about my weight one day. And I said, and you know, it was a positive comment. But I just told her, I said, Hey, I, I really need you to not comment on my weight. And she said, um, well, can you just take it as a compliment? And she's like a loud, brash, like funny person. And, and I said, I think what you're, what you're missing is this is something that's not healthy for me. And to get healthy, I'm probably going to have to gain some weight back. And how do you think that's going to make me feel when you've talked about how much you prefer me in this body? And she totally softened. And she just said, I'm so sorry. I hadn't really thought about it that way and I won't do it again. And she's never talked about my weight again. So sometimes I do have to set boundaries. Sometimes I'll just change the subject or deflect. Luckily I do have an assistant that is working right with me. So sometimes I can just, Hey, so like, what have you got going on? Or for me, humor is always the deflection as well. Um, make a joke like that kind of thing. Um, just, just turn the topic that that's been the the best thing I can do, but I have no problem setting boundaries with my clients if they are doing something that's especially hard for me. Um, and I think that they've kind of gotten that. And I think they they appreciate, I think people that need boundaries 
like myself also need to give boundaries. And so I think that kind of goes both ways where they've kind of realized like there's just a million other things to talk about. It doesn't have to be necessarily something that's um, triggering to either one of us. Excellent. Okay. I want to take a step back. I want to talk about uh, what you kind of have uh, mentioned a couple of times uh, previously as you're just kind of sharing your story sure. and that's uh, uh, leaving your religion. I'm, I'm assuming that was probably <laughs> something that, uh, you know, was something that maybe you had to wrestle with. And I, I'm sure there's probably a lot of fear and a, a lot of stuff that you had to go through to get to that point. So would you be willing just to kind of touch on that and, and share that experience if, if you wouldn't mind, Kara, please? Absolutely. Um, so like I said, I grew up Mormon, um, said a couple of things, like there's a bunch of rules. And um, one thing that's really unique about Mormonism is you kind of are or you're not. Um, if you're like Mormon, but you're like not following the rules, they'll call you like a Jack Mormon or a Jill Mormon or something. Um, but uh, up until recently, they they changed how um, the church is like formatted now on Sundays. But when I was active uh, or was practicing, church was three hours long every Sunday. And um, you're designated to go to a different congregation based on um, your geographic location. Um, they, they call your congregation a ward. So your ward is determined by where you live um, in a small town that pulls from a lot of places, but somewhere like Salt Lake City, Utah, it's maybe four blocks of people. Um, so you go to church with your neighbors. I kind of didn't hate that because then you're kind of taking out, like it's, it can't be a popularity contest of like, oh, this is what time I want to go to, or this is who I like better. So I always went to church with my neighbors and and I did really appreciate that. Um, but because of that, if you're not there on Sunday, people notice and, you know, sometimes someone might like call you or check in on you, which I appreciate. Um, but also that's where like a lot of gossip can start. Oh, you know, they don't really come or they haven't been here for a while or, or that kind of thing. And there's just like a lot of hypocrisy and a lot of, a lot of talking. Um, for me, there's so many things about the Mormon religion that do not make sense to me. There's some, some great things. And I feel really lucky that I grew up understanding like service and leadership and family and, and so many, so many good qualities, but the, for me, it's the misogyny, it's the racism. Um, the homophobia is a huge one for me. I would say that was the final step for me to just say, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, because I felt like it was hurting people that it just didn't need to hurt. Um, but something that's interesting for a lot of like millennials and the younger generations is that, the internet exists. And so we're able to learn about church history that we were never taught. And if that transparency had been there, I might have felt differently, but I, I do believe that the Mormon church was founded by someone who was a con man. He was a manipulator. Um, he had like, I don't know, 40 something wives. We know that at least two of them were 14, like, no, thank you. Um, and it wasn't that long ago, um, that that happened. So no excuses. Um, you know, so many quotes by church leaders that are just flat out homophobic or racist. Um, in the Mormon church, only men can have the priesthood, which is its own topic. Fine. But, um, 
one thing I knew was that like blacks weren't allowed to have the priesthood until much later, but I never really realized how much later. And then, um, it was like, after I had left the church, I actually found out that the year that they gave blacks, the priesthood was 1978. Like that was not, that was eight years before I was born. Like I, I was shocked. I was like, I, I had no idea in my head. I just assumed it was like shortly after. Um, and there's been some comments by church leaders later about that and how like, basically they should just be grateful. They ever got the priesthood, just things that really don't sit right with me. Um, a lot of doctrine that doesn't make any sense. Um, a lot of like hidden money. That's a big thing that's in the news right now. The church was just fined $5 million for hiding a bunch of money. Um, but they, they tithe everyone 10% and then they invest it and they make all of this money. And then they like make you volunteer to do everything. So like, like lay clergy in the church isn't paid at all. Um, but then they also like, they don't hire anyone to clean the church buildings. They like have church members come clean the church buildings. Like this is a huge rich organization. Like why am I taking time out from my life on a Saturday morning to clean your church when you have so much money? Um, but I mean, there's just so many things about it that don't resonate with me and, and don't make sense. But a lot of it is um, just the culture and how it others people. And like I said, especially the LGBTQ community, there's some great documentaries on it, little docu-series on Hulu called Mormon No More. That's really fantastic. Um, Dan Reynolds from Imagine Dragons has a really good thing. I think it's on YouTube now called Believer about his experience with all of that. And it's just until there's room for everyone in the church, there's no room for me. Um, so in the Mormon church, when you're baptized, they get, uh, you get baptized at eight. Um, they make a, like a church record for you and it, it just follows you around, not necessarily in a bad way, but like if you move or whatever, and that's how they kind of keep track of you. Um, and so I decided, man, maybe seven years ago to have my like records removed, which was a, a huge thing for me, but I felt like you know, I don't have to apologize for who, what I used to believe or any of those things. Like I said earlier, like I'm confident in this is who I am now, but I felt like that was the best way I could maybe apologize for some of the things that I had said when I was in that state of mind or that kind of thing was, I could just say like, I do not believe that anymore. And I'm going to denounce that completely, which that's like a big thing for families when anyone removes their records, but felt like that was something necessarily necessary to do for me. Um, but the church would tell me that like my salvation is at risk for having done that. Yeah. Now, um, since that time, have you, I mean, have you, uh, what, I guess, what, what are you, what are your thoughts on, uh, though I, I know kind of the popular word is spirituality, right? That's the word that a lot of people use. Sure. I don't necessarily like to use that word, but for the sake of this conversation, I'll use it. Um, what are your yeah. thoughts kind of like, uh, or have you explored, you know, other avenues of spirituality or religion, however you want to word it, right? There's a lot of words you can use, but, um, like, have you gone to other churches or, you know, uh, studied other religions? Like what, what are your thoughts on that, Kara? So growing up, like where I lived, there was a, a big, uh, community of like Baptists and Methodists. So, so I grew up going to vacation Bible school with my friends kind of experiencing some different versions of Christianity. Um, but for me, 
I think there's like a lot of trauma due to how I was raised in that faith. It's very like gaslighting, manipulative. Um, So it's, it's made it hard for me to want to like join any other faith. Um, Something I respect a lot about Mormonism that really worked for me is that the, um, the church meetings are, are very like reverent and like a place of like stillness. Like I really enjoyed that. They were very like reverent. Like people are supposed to dress up, like, you know, women wore dresses, men wear suits, like that kind of thing, or at least like slacks and a button up. Um, so it's kind of in the way that Christianity has unfolded. Now, a lot of the church things are like very casual. There's a lot of loud worship music, things like that. That makes me feel just like icky. And I I think it comes from realizing that a lot of religions are like a for-profit organization. And so feeling like if I go to this thing where they're like selling me, you know, coffee and t-shirts and stuff, it it just, it feels too like, not, not what I want to want to do. Um, I would be open, I guess, to, to going to something else at some point, but I've just found that spending my days doing things that I love being in nature, riding my bike, connecting with friends, um, is a way better use of my time. But I will say that like growing up in the faith that I did, I used the parameters of the faith, I guess, to define like who God is, um, was whatever, but in this like man-made idea, right? Like what my, my human brain can comprehend. So like not having any rules or parameters anymore has helped me realize that like maybe whatever this higher power is, um, is so much bigger than I thought before. And maybe it is, you know, Buddha and mother Teresa and all of the different faiths combined. Like it's, it's the same power. It's just defined differently by different groups. So having the lack of definition of it has helped me have a, a bigger and greater vision and idea of what it is instead of, boxing into this small space. So I do believe that there's something bigger than us. I do think and and hope that there is something to come after this life. I I don't know what that is. And I don't think that I need to, to figure that out to enjoy my time here, you know? Yeah. Okay. Um, something a a little bit lighter. Uh, I noticed from your Instagram that, uh, you, you have some tattoos as, as I do too. I love tattoos. So, uh, Talk about, uh, I don't know, why don't you just, why don't we start with, uh, when did you get your first one? Why did you get it? And are there, are there more to come? (laughs) My mom's going to love this if she hears this. (laughs) Um, So my first tattoo I got on my 25th birthday. Um, It's on my foot. It's one of the worst tattoos on my body no offense to the person that did it. it. It should have been a little bit bigger. That would have helped it wear better, but I didn't know. Um, so it's on like the inside of my foot and it says one step at a time. And I got it um, shortly after I ran my first marathon. Well, my only marathon. Um, but the reason being is that I always said that if you ran around the block or you ran a whole marathon, you ran them exactly the same way, just one step at a time. Um, so just like a good reminder to me, um, especially when I'm getting overwhelmed or just life feels chaotic. My boyfriend reminds me like, Oh, one step at a time. Um, so then I, I actually was still practicing Mormon when I got that one. I, I went into my, uh, Bishop, my, my church leader and asked him if I got it, if I would have to repent. And he said, I didn't. So I was like, okay, so I got it. And then, um, 
I got a couple just like random ones, like once a year for like five years. Um, I have this huge one on my side that I got that I don't like. Um, it's just not really a style that I like. And then it needed to be reworked. And so someone reworked it. Now it's worse. And I hate it even more. And it's like so big and bright and takes up so much of my body. Um, but then, (laughs) then I just started getting a bunch all the time. Um, so I, I have a, a big thigh piece by, um, two different people that did a collaboration, um, and we're looking for someone to put it on. And when I put in for it, I said, Hey, I really like your, both of your style. I follow both of you. Um, I've been wanting something like that. And I have long, thick legs that I think would be perfect for it. And that is actually why they picked me because it's big and they needed a big space, but it's kind of a feminine tattoo. So they were like, all right, we got you. Um, so then the guy that has done, um, one of the guys that, that was the half of that tattoo, um, has done a couple of other neo-traditional pieces on my leg. Um, I have a Triceratops tops on my leg. It gets a lot of attention from a lot of people because it's really bright. It's really cool, but I got it because my little neighbor girl told me she wanted me to get a dinosaur tattoo. So I was like, okay, sure. Why not? Um, I have my dog tattooed on me. I have Nike, the goddess of victory. So many people don't realize that Nike was named after a female. Um, it's on my shin cause I have giant legs. So I just figured that's a good place. She's known for strength and greed, strength and grace and speed. Um, I have like a siren. Um, I have this like Japanese Fox, um, have a bunch of flowers on this arm. Um, there will definitely be more. I don't necessarily know what sometimes just an idea will come to me or I'll see something. Um, but I have found that the best work that I get is from me just trusting the artist saying, Hey, I like your style. This is the space I have. This is an idea I have. Can you draw me something or picking something they've already drawn? So then they're not limited. Um, you know, they're not boxed in. They can do like what makes the most sense for them. And I feel like they take, they take better care of like drawing it and stuff when, when it can really truly be theirs. Um, but for me, it, it has definitely just been like a body reclamation. Like this is my body. Mormons aren't supposed to get tattoos. Um, like I talked about the eating disorder stuff, just body image, just feeling like, you know, if I don't super love my body, what if I decorate it? Then maybe I will. So I just keep decorating it. Um, there's kind of some themes. There's kind of not some themes. I don't know. I'll probably get more. My boyfriend has no tattoos, like not a single one. And I don't even care. Like it, it's just something that I do for myself. Um, like I talked about, we're going on a big trip in a couple, like in a month, we're going to Europe. If it works out for me to get tattooed while I'm there, I totally will, but I'm not going to like plan it out. Um, so we'll, we'll see, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, I did, uh, see my best friend that used to live out here like a month ago and her little girl's four and likes my tattoos. And so I got online and found some of those like adult, like temporary tattoos and mailed them to her. Um, and my friend said that when she opened them, she said, Ooh, face tattoos. So that's just kind of the influence I guess that I have, but I don't have any face tattoos and don't plan on any face tattoos. So we'll see. Now I've been told by a tattoo artist when I've gotten tattoos that uh, uh, ladies take tattoos much more, uh, or a lot better in terms of the pain than guys. Uh, mm. and people ask me all the time, like, you know, do tattoos hurt? And I always tell them like, I mean, for me to get a tattoo, like I have to be in the right mindset. Like I have to know, like, okay, 
this day I'm going to go in, I'm going to get my tattoo. Like I, I've got to be very like focused, so to speak. Right now. Uh, and, and I always tell people when they ask me if they hurt, I'm like, yeah, they, they hurt. Like they don't feel good. Now for you, what, what is the actual experience of getting a tattoo? Like, like, is it meditative? Is it something you look forward to? Is it, is it painful? Are you crying? Like, what is that experience? Cause I think a lot of different people have different experiences and see tattoos as, as different for them. Right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like the tattoo on my side that I hate, like was super painful. Maybe that was the sign, but like the ribs, the hip, you know, anything where you're really hitting, like, like being right on the shin on the knee, like, Oh yeah, that's like, that's not fun. Um, I find that they're really not that painful. They're just kind of uncomfortable. I, I relay them to being a sunburn all the time. It feels like a sunburn. Um, you know, I'm a redhead. I, I burn super easy. So it's very much that process, the healing process, the, the peeling, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but I've had some better experiences with artists than others. Um, like that collaboration tattoo I had was the energy was just like awesome because they were excited about it. All the other artists were coming to check it out. Um, you know, I kind of felt like a celebrity, like, Oh, I'm, I'm getting the tattoo today. Um, but it was also a very busy shop where there was lots to like look at and that kind of thing. Um, some tattoo artists like want to put in like headphones and like not talk to you. Um, I have this big, like big snake on my, on the back of my hamstring. And I would say that was maybe the worst tattoo experience I had. Um, the guy was fine, but he didn't want to talk. Um, they had TVs playing. So I just watched TV the whole time and like, that was fine. But other than like me showing up and him sizing it on my leg, we probably spoke like three sentences to each other, which was weird. Cause I was there for like eight or nine hours. Wow. And like I said, I love to connect with people. So I don't need you to talk to me like the whole time you're tattooing me. But like, I felt like I knew less about him when I walked in than I did before. Um, whereas the one I have on my arm right now, I flew um, to Eugene, Oregon. One of my sisters lives there to have this girl, Cassandra, tattoo me. And she is awesome. She's just like an incredible human. Um, she wrote the sweetest post after my tattoo talking about how we became friends and sure it was painful. Like sometimes after a few hours, I start to get like really cold or shaky or like those kinds of things. Um, but I'm also like, I don't know if this is the right word, but maybe a little bit cheap. So if I know that you're charging me like per hour to tattoo me, like I don't want to take breaks. Like if you need a break, if you need to change out your ink or your needles, like, cool. That's when I'll get up and use the bathroom, but I don't ask for breaks like ever. Um, so I think I definitely handle the pain pretty well. Um, but also I'd rather just get it done and like have it look its best than feel like I need a lot of breaks. And actually when Cassandra was tattooing me, she said that the girl that had been there the day before was very emotionally draining, but she kept needing breaks and how it's going to take twice as long and cost twice as much. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's not the experience I want when I'm on the table. I want to like, just get in and have great work and connect with them. And, and I do look at it as, as having people's art on my body. Um, my legs are some of my best tattoos and people will stop me a lot in the summer when I'm wearing shorts and say, I love your tattoos. And I always say, thanks. I've, I've, um, I feel grateful that I have such great artwork on me. Mm -hmm. Like I look at it as an extension of them onto me, um, versus like, this is my tattoo. Like they have some ownership in it too, because it is their art. Cool. Okay. We're going to start wrapping it up. We've been going for, uh, 
we've been going for a while here, so we'll we'll wrap it up. I yes, want to ask have. you uh, before I ask a couple of the the final questions. Um, so uh, you're out in in Denver, you're out in Littleton, which, by the way, I actually before well when COVID hit, I was uh, mm -hmm. I lived in Edgewater, and I worked. Oh, that's where I live now. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I loved Edgewater, but I actually, I worked at an anytime fitness there in Littleton. So, um, a lot okay. of connection, but what I want to ask is, uh, like Denver in, in general, right. That, that whole area for me being mm -hmm. from a small town in Iowa, uh, I've lived in a lot of different places. I'm kind of like a free spirit wanderlust. I like to say, uh, been around a lot, lived in big cities, but there's just something about the energy of Denver and Colorado as a whole. Cause I also lived in Colorado Springs for a little while. Uh, but the energy of Denver is to, in my estimation, very unique. And it's, it's just, it's special and it's powerful. So in terms of Denver and like maybe some of the places you like to go or, you know, uh, hangout spots, what are some of your go-tos for, for the Denver area, area, Kara? I always say I'm the Denver concierge, so I can always let you know, like what's going on or like where you <laughs> should go. Um, but like I said, I'm in Edgewater. We're really close to Joyride. Um, uh, so there's there's a lot of stuff walkable. I love um, Hops and Pie in Berkeley. They, their pizza is great, but they have like a great beer list. Um, Sloan's Lake, obviously a favorite. Wash Park is probably one of my more favorite places in Denver. Um, it's just big and it's it's great because it's it's meant for people to just be outside and um, like it's got a great walking lane, but then it also has like, you know, areas for bikers and um, roller skaters. That's a huge thing here right now. Um, I'm trying to think of like, if I have any like real other favorite places to go, I lived in Platte park for a while and I love that Pearl street farmers market just has like such good energy and, and good vibes. Um, I feel like people don't really like go to the mall anymore. And I, I like that about it. I like that Denver has a good food and drink scene. Um, and that people are really into supporting local businesses, um, and I think COVID has turned it over in a really positive way that like a lot of the corporate stuff is going away and then people are taking advantage of having cheaper real estate to like in the commercial space, not in the home space, um, to, you know, to open new restaurants and that kind of thing. They're able to get funding that they maybe wouldn't have been able to before because there are so many places available. Um, Edgewater Public Market is a favorite I mean, I, I love everything in, in Denver. Like there's just, there's just always something going on. I think for a tourist, like, unless you're here to like hike or like go to a Red Rock show, there's not always like a big thing, you know, like if someone says I'm coming to visit, it's like, I can make you, you know, go to snooze, like go here, go there, but there's not like one big thing to do. But if you're here, there's always something going on. Um, and I feel like there is a big community feel right now. Cool. I can't wait to get back. I'll be back. Uh, I'm actually moving to Boulder, but uh, oh, I'll, cool. I'll, be in, I'll be in Denver uh, plenty as well. I can't wait to get back. So um, Kara, kind of the, the last uh, question here I want to kind of wrap things up with is, so the tagline for the podcast is conversations with those in pursuit of more. So um, kind of like currently, uh, what are you uh, in pursuit of, or what are you kind of pursuing more of? Definitely, well, always connection, more connecting with people, um, but definitely just in in pursuit of of more like work life balance and just balance in my life in general. Cool. 
Okay. Um, what do you, um, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of just give you before I do uh, kind of a quick outro and we wrap everything up. Uh, why don't you give us, uh, if you want to give us like kind of where you're, uh, located in terms of, uh, hairdressing in, in Littleton, uh, give us your social media website, whatever you want to leave us, uh, any final thoughts, any final words, like whatever you want to wrap us up, uh, with leave us with, I'm going to turn it over to you and then I'll, uh, I'll close this out, Kara. Awesome. Thanks, Quentin. Um, so the salon I work at in Littleton is called Fouché. Uh, it's a really fantastic place. We have a full spa. There's also Essex Med Spa in it. So if you're looking for like any filler, that kind of thing, our pedicure chairs are incredible. Like if I have a favorite, favorite spa service, that definitely is it. And of course, would love for people to come and see me, but I have some really talented coworkers too. So I'm going to shout out to the whole place. I love working there. I love working for the owner of our salon. She's incredible great mentor and leader, obviously from the beginning for me. Um, so Fouché, it's F-O-U-S-H-E-E. -E. Um, it's her like maiden name in French when her ancestors came over, but it, it's a really cool place. Um, and then uh, my personal social media Instagram is copper carrot. So it's copper, like the, you know, the metal and then K-A-R-A-T. Um, I told Quentin before we started, my boss is also named Kara. So they call me Kara T or KT at the salon. So that's just kind of my like orange carrot copper thing. Anyway, long story. Um, I don't post a ton of posts. Like a lot of people, I don't really care about the algorithm, but something that I started doing during COVID when we were closed is I post a lot of memes on my story. Usually like once a week, I'll dump like 50 plus memes. So if you like to laugh, uh, come see me there. I have a lot of people that follow me just for that. Um, but that's what you can expect from my social media. Uh, if you want to see more pictures of my work, hit me up and I'm happy to share more pictures, but, um, I don't post a ton of hair pictures. I just, I'm busy at work, so I don't have a lot of time to take a lot of pictures, but happy to talk to anybody that has any questions or, um, about any of the things we talked about or hair or Denver or needs Denver recommendations. Like I said, I'm the concierge, so I'll take care of you. Nice. Okay, uh, Kara, I just want to say uh, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'm super excited to get uh, this episode out. I'm going to release it uh, on April 1st. So this coming Saturday, I'm excited to kind of um, your I released one episode because I had to release it, uh, you know, just to kind of get it submitted to iTunes and all that. And it was just uh, an episode with myself, which is kind of boring, but you're actually going to be the first episode of uh curious and candid i'm really excited to kind of get this podcast launched and going um so thank you for coming on sharing your story and just having a uh candid conversation with all of us i really appreciate it okay thanks quentin that's been fun cool you're very welcome um all of you who are tuning into uh this first episode of uh curious and candid um i just want to say thank you like i just said uh uh, to care. I'm, I'm really excited. This will be uh, the third podcast that I've kind of launched. And uh, like I like I said throughout the conversation today, once I get back out to, into Colorado, um, I will be doing these podcasts, most of them in person. Um, connecting with people in person is something that I thoroughly enjoy. So thank you guys for tuning into this episode. Really quick here as we wrap up this awesome conversation with Kara, um, please go to uh, Curious and Candid Podcast on Instagram give us a follow. That's where you can kind of stay up and current with all the latest Curious and Canon podcast episodes. 
And then also, um, if you guys want to uh, connect with myself, if you want to reach out to me, uh, if you think uh, you have an awesome, powerful story to share on the podcast and you want to just tell me a little bit more about yourself and, and maybe have that opportunity to share your story on the podcast, um, please just send me an email at curiousandcandidpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I don't know if this podcast, when this episode is released, if it'll be available on iTunes, uh, but it will be available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Player FM. And then at some point, once everything kind of goes through, it'll be uh, available on all the major podcast platforms. So wherever you listen to podcasts and you find Curious and Candid, please make sure you hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review. That would be greatly appreciated. And then as we close here, I want to leave you guys with this powerful quote uh, by Roy T. Bennett. And it states, listen with curiosity, speak with honesty, act with integrity. The greatest problem with communication is we don't listen to understand, we listen to reply. When we listen with curiosity, we don't listen with intent to reply, we listen for what's behind the words. Appreciate all of you guys. We'll catch you guys on the next episode.